We just sang the song in Christ alone, and one line of that song says, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. And uh, that's a powerful thought, a powerful thing to sing. Um, But sometimes it's challenging to remember that in the practical matters of life. And so today, I'd like to talk to you a bit about uh, the topic of worry. And I'll say before I start, this is a lesson that would probably be more easily presented somewhere else where people didn't know me and didn't know that I'm teaching something that I haven't yet learned myself. Uh, It puts me in an awkward spot. Uh, But the same thing that I need uh, to overcome worry in my life hopefully will help you. And it's a look at the Word of God and understanding what God, uh, what God's truth reveals to us about the topic of worry. And I hope as it helps me, it helps you too. Uh, I'd like to propose this working definition of worry. Uh, allowing our mind to dwell on concerns that something bad might happen. Allowing our mind to dwell on concerns that something bad might happen. That's a really simple definition. You might extend it and how to avoid it, right? That's the, that's the rest. Something bad might happen and how to avoid it. Um, but this will be kind of our working definition for worry. Uh, the Bible has a good bit to say about this topic, really. Uh, I think in part because worry is such a strong part of the human existence, such a strong part of our natural tendency. None of us want bad things to happen. And we all want to try to think ahead of how we can avoid bad things happening. Everyone is subject to worry about some things sometimes. And some folks have stronger tendencies to worry than others, but we all deal with it. And so I hope as we study some things that the Bible says about worry today, we can get to the real root of the matter and begin making changes in our, in our hearts and in our thinking uh, that will make us less prone to worry and uh, better able to worry less and trust God more. So let's jump right here in Luke 12, where we just read verses 15 through 34. And uh, kind of the root of the matter is, one of the roots of the matter at least, is where is our heart? So we just read uh, in Luke 12 some of Jesus' teaching about worry. And in verses 21 and 22, uh, we sort of bridge two teachings that sometimes we separate. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Of course, talking about the man who was tearing down his barns to build bigger. Uh, Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Uh, Grady's translation said, for this reason I say to you. Right, so there's this teaching about someone who was concerned about his life. What's he going to do? How's he going to plan for the future? And Jesus follows that up with, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. And so Jesus makes a connection between our perspective on uh, earthly treasure or heavenly treasure and the topic of worry. Uh, Jesus points us to the fact that worry can serve as an indicator. Uh, worry can show us something about where our hearts really are. Uh, about what it is that has really and truly captured our affections. If you're worried about this life, if you have a lot of worries, uh, it might indicate that your heart is more set on this life than it is on God. And Jesus, in verse 34 of Luke 12, made it clear we can't have divided loyalties. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Further down in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says... uh, that our worries about this life can make us act just like people who don't even know God. He says, For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. 
The nations of the world, who, who's he talking about? It's people who don't know God, who don't trust God. Uh, what is the characteristic of their life? They're, they're concerned about the things of this life. They worry about uh, their lives. But God doesn't intend for us to be that way. He intends for his people to be living with a different perspective, with a confidence that our Father knows what we need, and he will take care of us. Jesus says, you know, God takes care of birds and plants, and it's not because they have barns and, and they, you know, closets full of clothes. God just takes care of them. It's not because they're worried. Um, and think about how much precious you are, how much more precious you are to God than birds and plants. So can't you see that God will take care of you too? God doesn't want us to be concerned with worrying about what bad things might happen. He wants us to be focused on higher priorities. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and leave the rest to him. Uh, and it's really because hearts focused on this world uh, cannot effectively seek the kingdom of God. They just can't. Jesus said, uh, no man can serve two masters. You might be saying, well, you know, Jesus is talking about food and drink and clothing, and, and thankfully I haven't worried about any of those things in quite a while. Um, that might be because at home you have a closet full of clothes, a fridge full of food, or at least a supermarket nearby that is, uh, and a pipe in your home that gives you an endless supply of fresh water. Uh, the fact that you don't worry about those specific things might just be uh, because uh, you, you have an abundant supply of those things. But let the forecast call for three feet of snow and watch what happens, right? The supermarket clears out of toilet paper and milk, and, and uh, everyone is concerned about basic needs of life uh, all of a sudden. Uh, and you'll probably discover you're a whole lot more concerned about those things when you thought you were when you're on week two without power. Um, so right now, your needs are abundantly met, right? And uh, given that, you've probably moved on to higher worries. Uh, it's not that you're not worried, it's that you're not worried about food and drink and clothing. Uh, you've moved on to things like career success, uh, the longevity of your life, your health and wellness, uh, the safety of your neighborhood or your retirement plan or, or whatever, fill in the blank. Um, but Jesus doesn't want us to just be free from worries about basic needs of life. He talks about these basic needs because everyone, everywhere, has those basic needs every day. Um, but if we shouldn't worry about those basic needs, uh, knowing that God will take care of us, then there's nothing that we should worry about, uh, as though God isn't in control. Jesus says, if you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Right? Uh, so if you shouldn't be worried about the least, you certainly shouldn't be worried about the rest either. Now, I don't want to suggest that it's wrong for us to think ahead, uh, to consider planning for the future. God wants us to think carefully uh, about our circumstances, the decisions that we make, uh, the actions that we take, but uh, there's, a, there's a line at which thinking and planning uh, can turn into worry when we approach it from the wrong perspective. The Bible encourages being wise and resourceful and planning ahead, but it strongly condemns those who put their trust in their own ability to work and plan and worry enough to work things all out. We have a tendency to be far more concerned and occupied with our material existences than God would have us be. There was a psychologist named Viktor Frankl who was taken prisoner in Nazi Germany and who survived the concentration camps. And although he survived, uh, you 
you might imagine he witnessed uh, horrific suffering and evil at a very deep level. And uh, during that experience, he came to the realization that everyone eventually loses everything in this life. Their freedom, their mobility, their home, their health, their sight, their friends, their family, their spouses. Everyone eventually loses everything in this life. The differences are the ways in which those things are lost and the time scale over which it happens. Some people lose all uh, their things at once in a moment, right? They die suddenly and it's all gone. Uh, others lose them gradually, bit by bit, over years of life. Uh, and you might think that that's a terribly depressing thought, right? Like, this life is all about losing everything. Uh, it's slow or fast, either way, you, you lose it all. Um, but that's actually not the conclusion that he came to. Uh, it helped him appreciate the things that he had more fully. Many people worry about the loss of all those things, home and health and life and, and family and friends. Uh, but the reality is that we all lose all of those things by the time we're done with this life. It's futile to try to hold on to those things, isn't it? Um, and what makes it worse is that the process of trying to grasp hold of those things causes us to fail uh, to hold on to the things, um, the one thing that we could have held on to, uh, eternal life with God. How foolish to grasp the, the temporary things that no one can hold on to anyway and let go of the one thing that we could have kept. In Luke 9, 23-25, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? and himself destroyed or lost. This, again, isn't a dark and hopeless picture. Um, I'm not saying we're all going to lose everything, so we might as well give up now. Uh, rather, it's, it's a glorious picture. It's a hopeful picture. Um, because God invites us to this deep and rich experience with Him that will allow us to experience uh, even the circumstances of this life in a way that elevates our whole human experience to become not just things to lose, but treasures to gain. In Luke 12, 31 through 34, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is our treasure? It's important for us to think about that and get it in the right place. The second point I'd like uh, to suggest is that worry fundamentally represents a failure to trust God. Uh, consider the question for a moment, can God be trusted? You all know the answer, of course, right? It's yes, God can be trusted. It's impossible for him to lie. He's proven himself faithful. Of course, God can be trusted. Um, how about this one? Can God be trusted with my life? Well, 
you still know the answer is yes, of course he can, right? But the answer that our heart sometimes gives is, well, he can be trusted with at least some things in my life, I think. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Perhaps this explains the disconnect. We, we fear that if we really trust our lives to Jesus Christ, he'll mess things up for us. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But here's what I mean. If we really submit to God, he'll ask us to do things we don't want to do. He'll send us places we don't want to go. He'll bring unpleasant people into our lives, and he'll force us to be someone we might not want to be. If we really seek the kingdom of God first, we'll have to give up some things that we don't want to give up. We know that Jesus is going to mess with our nice, comfortable lives. And sometimes in our hearts, we secretly fear that God can't be trusted with our lives, at least not to take care of them in the way that we would want him to. Uh, since we know God may not manage our lives the way we'd like, well, then it's up to us to manage our lives the way we'd like, right? To be concerned, to handle our own problems, to be worried about those things. And so we wonder why we're worried and frustrated and unfulfilled. Um, this question, can God be trusted with my life is incredibly important to our walk with him. And until we settle that issue in our hearts, really settle that issue, uh, worry is going to rule our lives. Uh, worry is, uh, in many cases, avoiding what would help us. Uh, worry is, we've suggested, a preoccupation with the, the thought that something bad might happen, right? Uh, but if you're anything like me, you frequently define bad and good primarily by how much you will enjoy it. Uh, it's really simple. Things I like are good. Things I don't like are bad. Things that make me comfortable are good. Uh, things that make me uncomfortable, of course, are bad. Um, I want my life to be full of things I like and uh, empty of things I don't like. So I set about worrying how to make or, or keep my life full of things that I like. Uh, but boy, that is really an immature and short-sighted way of thinking, isn't it? We need to learn uh, to think like Paul did in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We glory in tribulations. That's a case of uh, redefining what we would think is good or bad, isn't it? When we're busy worrying and working to keep our lives pleasant, uh, we're actually missing out on some things that we could learn from hardship. Perseverance and character and hope are the byproduct of the difficult things that we often spend so much energy and attention trying to avoid. In 2 Corinthians 4-7, Paul expressed it this way, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Sorry, let's skip to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The contrast here, uh, Paul says, they were hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down that the outward man was perishing, right? That's, that's distressing, difficult things. But the product of that, not crushed, not in despair, not forsaken, not destroyed, the inward man being renewed, and those things working together, this exceeding weight of glory, a far more exceeding weight of glory. If you get a diagnosis of cancer, is that good or bad? If you lose your job, is that good or bad? If your spouse dies or your parent dies, is that good or bad? If you're hurt while helping someone else, uh, is that good or bad? It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? We have got to learn that God is the one with uh, clear perspective, the one who knows what truly will be good or bad for us, not just temporarily enjoyable, but really and truly good. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God cares for you. Uh, that's a very simple but powerful truth, and one we need to be reminded of often when we are busy thinking about how to keep our lives pleasant uh, God may be busy trying to keep our lives good. He cares for us. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul talks about some difficulty in his life that he called a thorn in the flesh. And he says uh, in verse 8, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm not to the point yet where I can take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distresses. But I know that there's a point at which I can, and I know that there's a point at which uh, God would have us each to uh, take that kind of perspective, realizing that those are the things that God uses to help us grow. So why would we worry about those things? Uh, God is taking care of it. God's not going to overwhelm us and destroy us, but he is going to give us what we need to grow, even if it's unpleasant for us. Look over at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. There's this, uh, I, don't, I don't have it on the screen right now, but uh, Romans 8, verse 28 is a famous verse that you've seen framed on, on uh, and put on people's walls. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And that is a verse full of encouragement and hope. It's an amazing promise. Uh, but this verse is in a context that makes it clear that God making all things work together for good doesn't mean he's making all things uh, work together to make our lives pleasant. Uh, 
the context leading up to verse 28 talks about the whole creation, it says, is groaning like a woman in labor. Uh, there is this, this pain and suffering that the whole creation is going through. The, this world is uh, messed up. It's, it's uh, suffering under the difficulty of the consequences of sin, and it's straining for relief and deliverance. Um, will there be an end to this suffering and a blessing from it? And it says that each of us inside have this experience of groaning, uh, that we are uh, troubled by uh, the experience of this world around us. They're waiting for some relief, something better to come from all this difficulty. And then verse 35 talks about tribulation and distress and persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. And in verse uh, 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And it's in the context of all that suffering and death uh, that Paul says all things work together for good to those who love God. The things that are working in this context uh, aren't just pleasant and enjoyable things. Uh, they're difficult things, distressing things. And he says in verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How foolish is it for us to worry and try to avoid the very things that God knows would work for our good? How foolish to try to avoid what would help us, the things that God knows would move us to a deeper faith and a fuller love for Him. The question, can God be trusted with our lives? Uh, the answer to that is so important. And the answer is yes, God can be trusted with our lives. He knows, He alone knows what will ultimately work out for our good. And so let's learn to quietly rest our worries on the fact that God has a bigger plan in mind for us. Our next point, worry uh, also has this ability to choke our fruitfulness. One of the problems with worry is that it focuses on removing difficulty, uh, avoiding unpleasant things, making our lives enjoyable. And, and as we've discussed, this, this set of priorities often directly conflicts with what God would have us do. Worry gets in the way of us being fruitful. Uh, first, and from a really basic practical level, uh, worry is, is unproductive. It doesn't accomplish anything. Jesus said in Luke 12, 25, and 26, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If then you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? I like the translation Grady read, read from, Which of you by worrying can add one hour to his lifespan? That's something that people really worry about. Nobody worries about being a cubit taller. Um, people really worry about having their life an hour longer. Um, but either way, uh, regardless of the translation, we see that we're, we're powerless uh, to really affect those things. And Jesus says, if you're not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Time and energy and mental focus spent on worry is time and energy and mental focus that is wasted. It doesn't accomplish anything for us. There are more important things, more fruitful things, more productive things for us to expend our time and energy on. 
And not only does worry have us spending our uh, energy in unproductive ways, it, it actually directly gets in the way of us doing things that we should be doing. Uh, Martha, I feel like, is so unfortunate. Uh, she's, she's, she's recorded here as uh, being a servant to Jesus. And I think we can all relate to her, her desire. She's got a special guest that she wants to show great honor to. And uh, she goes about serving, uh, says in Luke 10, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. And so she approaches Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha was, uh, we might think, uh, rightly uh, occupied with uh, acts of service. She was doing good for someone else, but, but her worry about that, uh, Jesus saw it as worry and trouble uh, about many things. I don't know the extent of what was going on in her mind. Um, it seems like she's certainly unhappy with, uh, with Mary not helping. Um, and so I don't know what else was going on in Martha's mind. But Jesus makes a point here that uh, Martha's worry had prevented her from seeing something of much higher value that she should have been spending her time and energy on. Uh, she had better things to do than to be worried. And uh, when we uh, are distracted and worried about things, even sometimes good and important things, uh, it can distract us from failing to do the most important things. In the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verse 22, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. It says the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Um, it's easy to read those things in a very negative light and say, well, of course, those are, that's, those are bad things, right? Um, because we see what it does. It chokes the word. Uh, it makes us unfruitful. But in our actual lives, as we live it out, uh, man, we spend a lot of time thinking about the cares of this world. Uh, and we spend a lot of time thinking about our financial and physical situations. And... Um, and there's a great danger in that, uh, that those things can uh, choke the word. They can make God's word unproductive uh, in our lives, and we become unfruitful. So what is, uh, what is the cure for worry? I'm sure you're going to have things in your life that will prompt worry. It's, it's just part of our human existence. Um, but what do you do with those things? If something is bothering you, uh, if you've got persistent worries, uh, how do you stop worrying about it? Um, Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 and 7, give us two categories. Uh, one category of things to be anxious about, and another category of things to take to God. Uh, it's important for us to properly sort the things of our life out into these two categories, the things to be anxious about and the things to take to God. Of course, he says, be anxious for nothing, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
situations come up in our lives and we're tempted to add to the category of things to worry about. Uh, but this verse makes it clear that that category is uh, readily emptied and placed instead in the category of things uh, to pray to God about, things to take to the Lord. Do you see the wisdom in that pattern? It's just really, it's just really practical. Uh, the things that you might have been anxious about before, uh, move them to the list of things to pray to God about. And this puts our concerns in the hands of the one who can act with perfect wisdom and love. The one who cares about us and those around us, and the one who has the power to do something about it. Our worry, as we said already, is unproductive. We can't do much uh, by worrying, but we can do a lot by praying about it. We put those concerns in the hands of God, the one who's able to do something about it. First Peter 5, 7, we referenced already, casting all your care upon him. The things that you are concerned and worried with, uh, we're encouraged to, to cast them all on God. And we can trust him in that. We know that he will uh, care for us. Christians shouldn't be fretful and worried people. We should be people who habitually take our cares and cast them on God, trust them to Him. God is willing and able to carry the load of our worries and able to do something about it. Uh, and we can know with complete confidence that God cares for us. There's more to say about worry and much more wisdom from the Scripture to help us in our lives, but I hope that this lesson has at least helped you consider your perspective on worry and on life in general. And really the question, can God be trusted with my life, is the central question that we all have to answer. If we answer it yes, it's going to help with our worry. But it doesn't just relate to our worries. This question, can God be trusted with my life, relates to our entire existence as a being that lives now and that will go on to eternity. There really isn't middle ground in answering the question. We will either be those who trusted God with our lives or those who tried to manage our lives on our own without Him. If you haven't really trusted God with your life, He invites you to do that, uh, to start right now, uh, today, doing that. God cares for you, and He stands waiting to bless you beyond measure. He's demonstrated His love by sacrificing His own Son on the cross. In Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If you're ready to receive God's offer of salvation and blessing, let someone know if there's any way that the church here can help you with that.